0: Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, last week we began this series called Sabbath. We are looking at this concept, this practice of Sabbath, of ceasing, of taking a day of rest. And I I love the tagline. It's uh, celebrating what was created for our benefit. And that's what it is. It's a gift gift. And we're going to see that today. So, you know, as we were thinking about this series, this is actually the second time we've addressed Sabbath since I've been here. About a year and a half ago, we did a series uh, just exploring what is Sabbath. Well, this time around, we wanted to remove the barriers and explore, like, well, how, do we, how do we practice it well? What gets in the way of Sabbath? And, and why might that be true? What are some of those motivators that, that move us away from Sabbath? And, and we want to tackle those and address those. And, and so, thinking about this series, we wanted to, Just go after what are those barriers and and begin to pull those away and and remove them. So today, you know, I kind of thought like, what would be a good way for us to practice Sabbath? And I had the thought, maybe we just all take a nap, like, you know, just take a nap in service. Some of you that is like beautiful news. You're like, oh, now he's finally giving me permission. I can sleep. So if you sleep, I won't be offended. There you go. You just, you have that. But we aren't going to actually take like a corporate nap. But if you do fall asleep, it's okay. But I hope that today you're going to see the goodness of what Sabbath can be. Sabbath is a beautiful, of beautiful practice. And last week we talked about how it is meant to be freedom. Because the Israelites, when they were slaves in Egypt, they didn't get a day off. They, They had taskmasters told them like, here's what you're going to do and you got to do it or else. And then they're rescued. They're set free. And it's in that context. You are now free people. Practice Sabbath. Be free to take a day off. Be free to rest with me. So that's what we looked at last week. But inevitably, they're given this idea, given this practice, and and told like it's for your freedom. But as the years go on, as the centuries passed, this practice morphed and changed. And it didn't remain in the freedom that God intended it to be. It didn't remain as this life-giving kind of practice. It became something different. It became law. It became rule. It's always been in the Ten Commandments, it's always been in the, in the, in the law in the Old Testament, but it became something that they had to honor. They had to keep, or else they weren't doing what God wanted them to do. It, it, it started to become this, like, we've got to keep the law or else. Sound familiar? And that's what happened. Over time, Sabbath changed for them. It became a a mark of national identity in a good way and a mark of national identity in a bad way. Sabbath became a rule that had to be followed. It became a checkbox that they had to mark each and every week. And I'm just curious, do you resonate with that? When you think about Sabbath, about taking a day each week, Is that what comes to your mind? Maybe you grew up in church or grew up in a family that practiced Sabbath, and maybe it had this feel of like, okay, here's what we do on Sunday, and here's what we don't do. We go to church, we read the Bible together, but we're not going to do some of this fun stuff, or or we're not going to do chores. And did it have this kind of law-keeping feel to it? Has that been your experience? Or, Or maybe that wasn't your experience, but you're looking at Sabbath, and you're kind of like, I don't really know what this thing's all about. Like, what am I allowed to do or not allowed to do? Like, how do I keep Sabbath? What does it look like to observe Sabbath? And you're kind of wondering, like, what's allowed and not allowed? It's one of the Ten Commandments. Like, how do we do this thing? If you are in either of those places, today we're going to look at a text that Jesus addresses this very question about law, about rule, as it relates to Sabbath. And he's going to give us a way forward. He's going to present to us, like, Here, here's what Sabbath is all about. And so we're going to do that. We're going to look at, at this text, this moment where Jesus interacts with the Pharisees about Sabbath. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Mark chapters 2 and 3. And if you don't have a physical Bible, you have it on your phone, that's cool too. Um, but Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 23, we're going to look at this interaction about the Sabbath that Jesus has with the Pharisees. So what we'll do is we'll we'll read a few verses here and we'll make a few highlights about um, what's happening here in a few chunks. So looking at verse 23 in chapter two. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Verse 25, he answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he gave some also to his companions. Verse 27, Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Pause there. So we get this interaction with Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus is walking along and his disciples, they're picking heads of grain. And by the Pharisees' response, you can probably deduce like, okay, this is not allowed on the Sabbath. And so I'm curious, if if you're hearing the language of the Pharisees, did you catch it? It's like, they're doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath, legal language. What's unlawful? They're not allowed to do that. You can't pick heads of grain on a Sabbath. And, and do you feel it? Do you feel that tension of, of like, okay, they're not supposed to do this? Well, where is this coming from? It, it is um, something where God says, like, I don't want you to work. Take a day off. But what does that mean? What does it mean for us not to work? And so they just decide they're going to flesh this out. And they do that in something called the Mishnah, which is the Jewish oral tradition. And they wrote some things down. And it's like, here's our interpretation, our understanding of what this means. And as they went over the years, it just got bigger and bigger. More and more rules. More and more explanation. And it's just like, here's you can do this and not this. And I'm curious... If it just felt more like work than rest. All of these rules, all of these things that we've got to do and and, and not do, if it just ended up being more work. Was it more like a work? Was it more of an emptying kind of thing more than a filling kind of thing? Has that been true for you? Have you gone through the practice of Sabbath and it's just been like, man, I feel like I get to the end of the day and it's just, ugh. I feel like I'm working more than I'm actually resting. And so maybe it's one of those things where it's like, I don't even want to do it. So I'm just going to do my own thing. Whatever it is. I'm going to work. I'm not going to work. I'm just, I don't care. I think that's just where it got to for the people of Israel. This Sabbath practice, this is such a defining and important mark for them but it's surrounded by all these rules. All these things that they have to do and and things they can't do. And it ended up being just more work. And if you were here last week, again, Sabbath is a mark of freedom. Are they in freedom? Or are they right back where they were, enslaved once again? I think sometimes Sabbath... Can change, it can morph, it can be this thing where it's about keeping it rather than the goodness that it's supposed to be. And that's what Jesus wants to go after. See, they say, like, oh, they're doing what's unlawful. Let's talk about that. Jesus steps in and he's like, hey, let's open that up a minute. Have you read what David did? And he begins to reference this story in the Old Testament of David and his companions. They're they're on the run from Saul, and and they're needing something to eat. Now, before I tell you more of the story, there's something you need to know from Leviticus. So, the Leviticus, this is the Old Testament law, uh, where where God is giving Israel, here's here's how you live for me. And, And here, particularly, how you build the tabernacle and how you use it. Well, there's something in the tabernacle. There's a table with bread on it. This bread was only for the priests. So I want to reference uh, Leviticus chapter 24 and look at verses 8 and 9. You don't have to turn there. We'll have these up on the screen. But uh, Leviticus chapter 24, this is where it describes what's taking place in verses 8 and 9. This bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath. Just note that. On behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant. It belongs to Aaron and his sons. These are the priests. Aaron was the high priest, the first one. His sons, the priests that followed him. So it belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in the sanctuary area because is it a most holy part of their perpetual share of the food offerings presented to the Lord. Here it is. In Leviticus, it says that the bread of presents... This bread that's sitting on the, on the table in the tabernacle is to be eaten by the priests. So every Sabbath, they, they bring it out and they take the old loaf and, and then they give it to the priest. And this is food for them. This is something that they could eat, but it's only for them. Nobody else is to, to take part. Well, flash forward then to David. He and his companions, they're on the run from Saul and they, they come to the tabernacle and they're hungry. And, and they don't know what else to do. And so they, they come to the priest like, hey, do you have any food that you can give us? And the priest said, well, I don't have any food except the bread from the table. I've, I've got that. But that's only for the priests. But what happens? So in First Samuel chapter 21, we get in verse 6, what actually happens and takes place here? If I can get turned there. Verse 6. So the priest gave them the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. What's described here is that process of taking the bread and removing it. But again, it's only for the priest. But what does he do? He gives it to David and he gives it to his companions. This is not allowed. But Jesus runs to this story to highlight here is an example of the law being broken. And they all revered David. Like, David, he's the guy. Like, he's the high king of Israel. Everybody looks up to him like he's the quintessential guy that they are longing to see. And so Jesus, he references this. He says, you know what they did. They ate was not what was not lawful for them to eat. But you don't throw a stink about that, do you? I mean, that's essentially what Jesus is is trying to point to. He's like, you're talking about laws and Sabbath, and he's referencing something related to Sabbath here. And he's connecting the dots to say, it is not simply about checking a box. It's not simply about following the letter of the law. There's more going on here. And that's what he wants the Pharisees to see. You see, David, he did what was wrong according to the letter of the law. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. Like, how then do we understand this? Ah, well, Jesus wants to say there's more going on. And how does he capture it? Back to Mark, verse 27. What does he say? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, Sabbath is meant to be for humanity for us, for our benefit, we weren't created to honor the Sabbath. It's not like God said, okay, I'm going to create this beautiful law. Hmm, Here's all the different things, and here's this concept of Sabbath. Yeah, hmm, that's good. But I have nobody to keep it. Oh, I'll create human beings, and they can keep my law. So there, someone is keeping my law, and it's good. No, that's not how it worked. God created humanity. He loves us. It's like, yes, I'm pleased with you, and I want what's best for you. So I'm going to give you this law. Logically, we precede Sabbath. Sabbath is for us. Sabbath exists to serve us. We don't exist to serve Sabbath. We don't exist to keep Sabbath. It's not like the law has to be kept, so let me put some human beings together. No, no, no. It's for our benefit. We exist, and he wants us to flourish. Therefore, he gives us Sabbath. That is what Jesus is wanting to undo here. He's wanting them to see it's not about keeping the law. That's not the purpose of Sabbath. Sabbath has a greater purpose. It is meant for us. It is meant to serve us. This, this is what Sabbath is all about. Okay, so he's working to undo this idea of law-keeping. And I don't know if you're kind of resonating with this. Like, okay, yeah, I I can track with, you know, Sabbath feeling like a burden and a a law or a rule. Like, I got to check the box. But Jesus is coming in and saying, no, no, no. It's the wrong posture. It's the wrong approach. It's not meant to be like that. So what is it meant to be? If Sabbath exists to serve us, then then how does that play out? Or what's it for? What What is this really supposed to be for? Four, we're not to keep it, how does it serve us? Well, that's what comes in the next part of the story. So I'd like to keep reading. Now we're in chapter three of Mark. Read what happens on another Sabbath moment, if you will. So verse one, another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Now verse two, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now pause there for just a second. What's happening here is Jesus walks into the synagogue and, and, and there's this guy who's got a shriveled hand. I mean, it's not as it should be and, and he sees him, okay. Now there's others who, ah, they watch Jesus. They know him as a healer. Is he going to heal on the Sabbath? Back to that Jewish teaching, that Mishnah thing. They said that you could do certain things and not other things on the Sabbath. Well, one of those things you could do was you could prevent death from happening. You could do, take life-saving measures. That was allowed. If someone's life was threatened, you could do whatever you could to allow them to be saved or to be you know, cared for and, and not die. That was allowed. But to take proactive steps towards healing and curing somebody, that was not allowed. So like you couldn't, if someone's in a non-life-threatening situation, you weren't allowed to do anything on Sabbath because they're fine. They're going to make it through the day. Tomorrow you can address the cure. They look at this guy and says, this is not life-threatening. He's not dying right now. It's Sabbath. We don't do anything to help. That's not allowed. That's what's going on here. And so Jesus stepping in to heal somebody would be work. Proactive steps towards a cure. That's not allowed on Sabbath. So they're watching him. What's he going to do? He's known as a healer. Is he going to heal this guy? So that's the stage. That's where we are. So verse three, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. That's exactly what he wanted to hear, right? Like, let me make you the center of attention. Stand up in front of everyone. And now here he is standing in the middle of the room. What happens? Verse four, Jesus asked them, which is lawful, lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? Notice what he's doing here. He's he's kind of stepping into their concept and what's lawful? Which is better? To do good and save life, to do evil, to harm and to kill. What's lawful on the Sabbath? But they remain silent. They don't say a word. They don't engage with him. Like They're just sitting there. Continuing to watch, what is he gonna do? Verse five. Then he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Said to the man, "Stretch out your hand." He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. There it is. This guy he stretches out his hand, and it's better. It's it gets whole and, and restored. Like. He just healed on the Sabbath. And Jesus is knowing what's going on in their hearts and their minds. Like He's bothered by their stubbornness. They don't see it. Because what happens next? Verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Are you catching the irony? Which is lawful? Save life or to kill? What's happening on the Sabbath? Jesus doing good. He's bringing more life. What do they do? On the Sabbath, plot to kill. Do you feel the irony? That's what Mark is wanting us to wrestle with. What's the path that we're going to choose? What's the way that we're going to choose? Are we going to go the way of the Pharisees, which apparently is to destroy and to kill, to take life, or the way of Jesus, to do good, to save life, to step into the goodness that it is, that is all tied into Sabbath. And so what what we're to see here, what we're to wrestle with, is like, what's this path? What is the purpose of Sabbath? And so, come back to verse four with me one more time. Is it to do good or to do evil? Jesus wants to call us, the purpose of Sabbath is to do good. It's not to do evil. Sabbath is meant for our good. That's what he wants us to see. Sabbath is meant for our good. It's meant to be about restoring, about bringing life, about bringing redemption. It's it's meant to be a fulfilling kind of thing, not the opposite. Not this taking away life, killing, destroying, bringing harm, or empty. Sabbath is for our good. The Pharisees' way looked like this, taking life, diminishing, emptying. That's how they responded to this. You didn't do what you were supposed to. We should kill you. That's the logic there. Jesus wants to come and say, no, Sabbath is for our good. It's meant to be a good thing, life-giving kind of thing. That's what Sabbath is all about. So if you're kind of like, okay, so good. I I can kind of track it. What is good? Well, here's the paradigm. He's giving it to us. What brings life? That's what Jesus is illustrating in this story. Goodness in Sabbath is what brings life. What brings life for you? What's the kind of thing that fills you up, that brings more flourishing, that you walk away feeling like, yeah, okay. That, that is what Jesus wants to point to. That's good. That's what Sabbath is for. It's for our good. It's not for, I have to keep these rules. I got to do this, but I can't do this. And you walk out and you just feel more burden, more empty. Feel like you did more work. That's not the purpose of Sabbath. Sabbath is for our good. And good, Jesus is defining for us here, is anything that brings life. It's that which brings flourishing. It fills us up. It restores us. That's what he does for this man. That's what he wants to do for us in Sabbath. How can Jesus do all this? Like, how can he come in and say, this is what it's all about? Because, I mean, the Pharisees, they're they're like, work and rest. That's what God said. Well, what's work and what's rest? Here, here's, here's how we define it. But Jesus comes in and he upends the cart. Like, how can he do that? How can he come in and say, this is what Sabbath is all about? And violate all the the interpretation, all the laws, all the the explanation that they had built over the centuries. How can he come in and do that? Verse 28, chapter 2. The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. The Son of Man. This is a title. Comes from Daniel 7. This is J- Jesus' favorite title for himself. He refers to himself the most using this phrase. He's talking about himself. I am Lord, even of the Sabbath. That's what he's saying. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath because he is the one who created it. Back before time began, before the world existed, Jesus existed. He's the second person of the Trinity. He has always been there, the whole Godhead. He's been present. And what did he do? He created the world. He created us. He's pleased with us. He delights in us. He's like, yes, this is good. And he gives us Sabbath as a gift because he's the creator. He's the one who rules over all things, and he's the one who writes the law. He comes in and says, the law is for your good. Because I created you, I know you, I have fashioned and formed you, this is for your good. That's why Jesus can come in and say, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. But that's not the end of the story either. See, he created us, but we, we as human beings, we like to go our own way. We like to call the shots, we like to decide, this is, this is the way things should be, or this is the way I want my life to be, and, and we call that, that rebellion, Sin. This is a rejection of God's way of doing things. Like, I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it mine. And that led to brokenness. The world being in disorder. The world being burdening. Work being burdening. We've messed it up because we want to call the shots. We want, to, we want to sit on the throne. We want to do things our own way. Jesus came to save us from all of that. Jesus came not to just simply reinstitute a day of the week of Sabbath practice, but give us the greater reality that the Sabbath points. See, the Sabbath is is pointing to this ultimate kind of rest, a fullness of rest that we are longing for and truly seeking. Jesus came to realize that. He came to give us a rest from our sin and our brokenness. That's why he came lived on this earth, and that's why he died. He died. He gave up his life to give us rest, to set us free from the brokenness of sin. And he was raised again to new life to say, here's what this is gonna be like. It's gonna be flourishing. Here, your ultimate Sabbath rest with me will be good, will be full, will be rich. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And he comes to give us a full Sabbath rest. I love how Paul captures this. So, Paul, in writing the letter to the Ephesians, um, he uses a variety of different words and language throughout the book, but one I think that might capture this the most. When you think about sin, we're dead in sin. And that's the way Paul describes it. So, in chapter two in, in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that as for you, you were dead in your transgressions, you were dead lifeless, empty. You were dead in your sins. Verse two, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Again, he's picturing this sin pattern. But now jump down to verse four. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. This picture of deadness, like sin, that's what it does. We are dead in our sins. We we can do nothing. So Christ died for us. And he was raised to new life to bring us new life. Flourishing, wholeness, everything that Sabbath is all about. In him we are made alive. That's the promise of the resurrection. That's the power it has. And that's the power that Jesus infuses within Sabbath. Sabbath is meant to bring about good. It's meant to bring about flourishing. It is meant to bring about life. That is why he gave it to us. Jesus gives us Sabbath for our good, for our flourishing, for our building up and our life. That's what Sabbath points to. And that comes only in Jesus. So Sabbath, it's a practice that brings us back to him, reminds us of what this is all about. And and it's such a good thing for us, but it is not meant to be a rule to be kept, a law to be followed. And if we don't, then or else. (laughs) Jesus gives it to us for our good. So how do we actually practice this? How do we move from Sabbath being a law, being a rule, and actually live in the good of it? How do we live in what Jesus is trying to demonstrate in this story? I have a few thoughts, and and maybe here's just some ways that you can kind of take hold of it. So number one, here's a question to ask. Is Sabbath a have-to or a get-to? Is Sabbath a have-to or a get-to? So uh, I want to tell you a story from my life. So um, I became a Christian around middle school and, and grew very quickly. I had a lot of great people pouring into me. And so by high school time, um, I... I'd had a lot of experience, a lot of people investing in me. And so when I got my driver's license, I developed a Sabbath pattern that persisted for a number of years. So what I would do is I would actually go to three church services in the morning. So I'd get up early before 8 o'clock. I know, kind of crazy for a teenager. I'd get up, and I'd go to an 8 o'clock service with my mentor. He, he went to a church, and I sat with him, and, and, and I went to church with him. And then I'd have about like 10 or 15 minutes to jet over to the parent, my parents' church, like where we all went as a family. And so I'd go to service at 9.30 with them. And then after that, I'd go to a service with some friends at another church at 11. So like three services, that was my pattern for a long, long time. And I'll tell you what, it was so, it was cool. Like I learned a lot. It was such a valuable experience for me. But, but, it developed into a have-to kind of thing. Over time, you can imagine as a teenager, you know, driving around on Sunday morning to three different churches and going to all these services, like, I just kind of got tired of it. And while there was a lot of good, like, it became like, oh, I've got to do this. Each, each Sunday morning, like, I, I gotta do this. And, you know, eight o'clock got harder and harder to wake up for, you know, like, and there's this have-to mindset that started to creep in. Like, I had to do this because this is what I do. And this is what honors the Lord, and I'm learning, and it's good. And you kind of feel that with me? Like, it was a have to. And eventually, like, it took me a while, but I eventually realized, like, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. It's a good thing. Like, going to church is, is a valuable thing. Like, why would I not do more of that? That was, that was the mindset. Like, it's a good thing, but I begin to miss it. It became a burden. It became like this chore, this box that I had to check. It became a rule, a self-imposed rule that I had to follow. And it was no longer get to. Eventually, I stopped going to all three, and I just started to go to church with my family, that middle service, and it was good. I'm in church. I'm doing something that's good for me, but I'm not doing it in a have-to kind of way. And I kind of stepped into the freedom by doing less. Less good thing. Is it have to or is it get to? Ask yourself that question. When you approach a Sabbath day or a Sabbath time, is it something you've got to do, you have to do? Or is it a get to? Is it something joyful? Something that's like, yes, I'm excited about this and I, I love that I'm doing it. Is it have to or is it get to? Ask yourself that question. As you think on Sabbath, reflect this way. So that's number one. Number two, do what is life-giving. That's the pattern that Jesus sets up for us. Do what is life-giving for you and for others. So what is what is life-giving to you? What are the kinds of things that you can do that kind of fill you up that you feel like, ah, I feel energized, I, I feel like excited, like at the end of the day, I feel mm, good. What's life giving to you? But I do add the caveat, both for you and for others. Because I think sometimes the tendency is like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go play a round or two of golf by everybody. And, and like, I love golf. And that's great. Are you neglecting your family in that, though? Now, not to say you can't go play golf, but like find what works for you and for the people around you, for your family, for the, the people in your circle. What's, what's building up for them, too? Sometimes we can go do something that's for us and maybe just for us, but we don't do that to the neglect of other people because what Jesus is coming in here to do is he's healing someone else on Sabbath. You could argue that he's working, like he's doing a work, which is exactly what the Mishnah said. Like you're doing work by healing. Jesus laid his own life down for the benefit of somebody else. Sabbath is meant to capture that too. So find those things that are life-giving to you, but be conscious of other people. I, I've shared this a number of times. I'm a runner, and I like to run. I went for a run this morning before church, and it was a beautiful morning. I mean, under 60 degrees, really comfortable out. and just I, I got finished, and I'm like, ah, oh, that felt good. Some of you hearing that would be like, oh my gosh, don't ever ask me to do that on a Sabbath, right? <laughs> like, that is not appealing to me at all. Some of you are like, yeah, that sounds really good. Others you've no way. Find what works for you. Find the thing that is life-giving to you and build that in your Sabbath routine. But be conscious of other people. Be conscious of your family. Do do what's helpful and needed for those around you, whether your family or friends, those you might Sabbath with. But find those life-giving kinds of things. That will be part of the purpose of Sabbath for you. But that's not all of it. Number two is uh, life-giving kinds of acts or, or practices, and do that for yourself and for others. But there's another key component, and it's number three. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus and be in his presence. Be in the presence of the Spirit. It's about him. As we talked about last week, you know, it's for the Lord. A Sabbath to the Lord. It's oriented to him. Sabbath is truly found in Jesus. It's not in these self-care kinds of things where it's like, oh, okay, I get some me time, like this thing is really good and it's about the thing. No, it's about Jesus. He is the source of life. If you want to find something life-giving, go to him. So build in the practice of remembering Jesus. Now, when I say that word remember, I don't simply just mean like, okay, remember, I kind of have it in my memory, cool. It's actually more like the biblical "remember." And when in the Old Testament, people would say, remember, they talk about keep or observe or follow. Like it was more than just like bring to mind. It was actually to like live in your body in a meaningful way where you are experiencing afresh over and over this idea, this thing, or really the Lord. So when I say remember Jesus, like spend time with him in the Scriptures, spend time in prayer, do family devotions, like spend time with Jesus and consciously enter into his presence. This, this is where we are going to find our life best. It's with him. He's the source of life. He's the one that gives life. Do it with him. Remember him. Build that into your practice. Find ways that you can spend time in his presence. That that is the good work that Sabbath can do. So, tying this all together, Jesus gives us Sabbath for our good. That's what this story points to. That's what it's about. Sabbath is meant to serve us. It's meant to be here for us. It's not meant to be something that we have to keep as a law, as a rule, and if we don't, or you know, then it's all going to fall apart. Like, No, Sabbath is a gift. It's for our good, and it's found in Jesus. So if you come from that background where Sabbath is very much a box, I got to keep it, got to do it like this. Step back from that. Step back from the rules, the regulations, and seek the Lord. What do you have for me on a Sabbath day? What is it that you are asking of me, Lord? What is life-giving that I can do with you, Lord? That is the kind of approach that Jesus wants us to take towards Sabbath. Because it's a gift. It's a gift that he gives us. And he wants good for us in it. Jesus gives us Sabbath for our good. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you for the gift of Sabbath. God, sometimes it is easy for us to take the things that you give us spin them, turn them, make them something that they're not. That's our human tendency. We want to just control things. That is what you came to set us free from. Sabbath is meant to be a time where we surrender, where where we release, where we live in the freedom that we have in you, Lord. God, I pray I pray that we would step into our Sabbath practice wherever we are, whether we've never ever done it before or whether we're we're a veteran doing this for 30 years or more. God, I pray that we would step in with a renewed perspective right now. That we would see it as something for our good. God, help us to step into that in a meaningful kind of way. Would we rest in the goodness that you have for us? So right now, Lord, we just want to take a moment. encourage all of you, just take a deep breath right now. Lord, allow that feel of inhaling, exhaling into rest to be part of our Sabbath. Would we slow down? We put our phones away. Would we set our eyes up, see the world around us, see the people around us, and step into the good that you have for each and every one of us? This is the gift that Sabbath can be. God, I pray that we would take hold of it. Not to earn anything. Not to keep a law but to find the good you have for us. Lord, you are good. Sabbath is good. We are grateful for the gift that it is. And we trust you with it, God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.